Hi, I'm Dr. Mitzi Crockover, and welcome to Beyond the Paper Gown. You know, this episode is really near and dear to my heart because it covers a topic that I, and most likely many of you, understand so well. The feeling of never having enough time, having a to-do list that's never done, and taking a backseat to almost everyone and everything before you take care of yourself. Well, you probably know that that's a recipe for poor health. It also makes it difficult for us to show up for our jobs, our families, and perhaps most importantly, for ourselves. Well, thank goodness for our guest today. She too found herself struggling with all of her responsibilities as a mom and a professional until it was too much. She saw many others were having a similar experience, so she studied the problem and created a company based on that research to help women prioritize themselves while still being able to care for others and do their work. Her company also helps employers make the workplace more supportive for caretakers. Leslie Ford, founder and CEO of Mom's Hierarchy of Needs, is here today to share her insights on reimagining self-care and to offer realistic solutions to address these challenges. Hi, welcome to Beyond the Paper Gown. I'm Dr. Mitzi Crockover, and I can't be more pleased to introduce and welcome our guest today. Leslie Ford is CEO and founder of Mom's Hierarchy of Needs. Hello, Leslie. Welcome. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. You and I literally just met at the Women's Health Innovation Summit in Boston just a few weeks ago. And when you told me what you were doing and what your company does, I was immediately fascinated. Please tell us what the mom's hierarchy of needs is. Absolutely. Well, the hierarchy itself, a lot like Maslow's hierarchy (laughs) of needs, is a pyramid. Um, And unlike Maslow's, I think what's different is that at the base, the items that are foundational for moms, like our children's health and milestones and their activities and well-being. The next layer would be our household responsibilities. And the layer after that would be our professional roles. Those foundational items are not linear. Um, We have to kind of, you know, revisit them and circle around them at all times. The aspirational categories at the top are all of the things that we would do for our mental, physical, and emotional health. So in my paradigm, that includes things like sleep and nutrition, stress management, (laughs) fun, learning, development, healthy relationships with other adults. But what I discovered quite by accident as I experienced burnout after I returned to work from my second maternity leave, that the reason it's so challenging for us to make time for our mental, physical, and emotional health after having kids It's because the things that we really prioritize in the bottom two-thirds of the hierarchy, they're never done. You can't kind of check off the box and say, children's milestones, done. <laughs> Household so responsibilities, done. Right. And, you know, before we have children, we're kind of conditioned that anything that we would do for our 
health or well-being or even our interests and development are the types of things we do in our discretionary time. But if you're caring for children, or even if you're caring for an older person as well, you probably don't have discretionary time. And if you do, it's highly fragmented and unpredictable, which makes it incredibly challenging to set or maintain healthy routines. And what happened to me happens to a lot of women. I found that I was, you know, I was eroding (laughs) and my family was flourishing and I was pouring all of this energy into their care and well-being and into my career, but it was hollowing me out and I couldn't understand why. And that's what led me to kind of my aha moment of realizing that there was a mom's hierarchy of needs. And then after a lot of time and research, understanding why it's so challenging to make this space at the top. First of all, I resonate with everything that you're saying, and I have so many other questions that we're going to get to. And you mentioned research. So, you know, because what you're doing is really based on the evidence that you've uncovered. So talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. I began my career, you know, now more than 25 years ago as a market researcher. And it is kind of the hallmark of how I manage through uncertainty, unpredictability, or any kind of chaos. So I decided this would be the same thing. And I decided to kind of apply this lens of research to what felt at the time like a very personal problem. Of course, I learned that it was not at all a personal problem right. and that it's you know something that most um, you know overwhelmingly that mothers experience and even women more broadly experience when they have caregiving responsibilities or even in some cases just you know career responsibilities. And in the first study, which was very qualitative, I had about 150 moms who responded and helped me adjust the categories to what it looks like now. And in the past seven years, I've been really examining through all of my research studies, this intersection between stress, self-care, which is, you know, all of the things that we would do for our preventative health, and growth. And why are they in conflict with each other as often as they are? What are the individual or personal reasons that this problem exists? And then what are the broader societal and structural reasons? And what can we do, right? Because ultimately, a lot of the structural challenges, although they're significant, they're not things that we can change in our lifetimes, at least not by ourselves. So I try to share practical advice that will help us move forward, whether it's today or this month or this year, in addition to educating women in particular about the systems challenges and how that intersects with their personal experience and what steps they can take as a result of the limits we have. That's a pretty broad agenda. Talk a little bit about the specifics uh, or some of the more interesting findings that you uncovered in those different areas? Oh, absolutely. There's so much that I've discovered that is, I think, fascinating and sometimes infuriating. 
But, you know, as I kind of mentioned around discretionary time, you know, that's at the heart of this. And women have very little discretionary time if they're caring for others. And because it's unpredictable, you could have all the willpower in the world and you could decide you're going to go out for that run or you're going to call that friend, or you're going to pursue that PhD program, whatever it is. And all those good intentions might take you to the door and then somebody, you know, wakes up or throws up on you or the school calls or, you know, any number of things can happen that completely disrupt your schedule. And because women are still disproportionately responsible for the overwhelming majority of unpaid work in the home and the overwhelming majority of unpaid work in society, it means that we are highly interruptible. And that has a huge consequence on our health and well-being. In the context of preventative health, what I also learned is that in one of my earlier studies, you know, nine times out of 10, when moms want to take time for their own care, when they want to unwind, it's something that they want to do by themselves. <laughs> yes. And I mean, because <laughs> sometimes you can't even go to the bathroom by yourself. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it's yes. like, it's something they want to do by themselves. So again, back to the dilemma. We have a huge childcare crisis in this country. Even people who can afford it can't find it in many cases. And if you're on point for the majority of childcare and the majority of household responsibilities, it kind of leaves you with before work, if you're in the paid workforce, or after your children are asleep. So those windows are tiny. And those windows are fraught with complexity. So what happens, it's the, oh, someday I will <laughs> yeah. return to my daily walk or my daily workout or, wow, I will get to that colonoscopy or mammogram someday. Right. But right now it's too busy. So a lot of the downstream effects, you know, that you've experienced, you know, as a, as a professional, as a medical professional, as a doctor, you know, I see the early stages of self-neglect and that because we're conditioned to be pleasing and deferential and selfless of, and selfless because that's what's praised. The bottom two thirds of the hierarchy, if you look at your social media feed at any given time, I tell people to do this, you're going to see service work, you know, you're taking care of your family, you are off on a business trip, you're in service to someone. But how often do you see people proud that they've taken a nap? Right? That's so true. Proud that they've rested. <laughs> proud that they've gone for that workout. I mean, sometimes you see that, but not often. So inevitably what happens is we are just celebrated for being in martyr mode as much as possible. And that celebration feels good. It feels good to do what people expect of you because you're rewarded for it. And when you don't do what people expect, which is to say, no, I can't, I don't have time, I would rather, <laughs> that reception in many cases 
will harm women in the workplace. It feels emotionally bad at home, but in the workplace, it has financial consequences. And when I started to look at the systems side of things, like the systems of work and how that plays out for most of us in our daily lives, or even the systems of childcare and public policy, what happens is there's no landing space for you to care for yourself. So in the workplace, if you are from an underrepresented or historically overlooked group, if you're a woman, especially if you're a woman of color, and you try to raise your hand and say, you know what, I'm struggling, I'm having trouble with this, or you're asking me to do something that I can't possibly do, or it's unreasonable, or the conditions have changed since we set these goals, so I need some different you know, I can't meet the same objectives when all of our conditions have changed, or I can't hit the same performance criteria when half my staff has been cut, or my budget has been eliminated. But instead of having that, like, rational conversation from a place of power, oftentimes women lack the positional power or the social power in the workplace. Our boundaries are not respected in the same way. So what will happen is after her kids go to sleep, as this was the case for me for many, many years. She'll get right back onto that email and she'll get right back onto those messages and she will continue to want to be responsive to her colleagues, to her manager, to her work requirements, in addition to then perhaps staying up another hour or two to make sure the counters are clean and the floors are swept and that lunches are made and that, you know, schedules, appointments are scheduled and that everything is done. But again, there's no done. So it sets up this really vicious cycle of self-neglect, ignoring our own health while being in service to others and being always on and not having the kind of respite or downtime that's really required to recalibrate, to reflect on what you really need to just adjust to the huge amount of environmental pressures that we're under right now. Absolutely. Two things come to my mind as you're speaking. First of all, is that we know that there is research that shows that caregivers have worse health outcomes because for exactly what you just said, don't go and get the preventive care that they need, or may not even go and get the acute care that they need um, because of the responsibilities. So that does resonate. The other part that I'm thinking, and maybe again, uh, resonating with, is that while you're talking about all of those things, I was an older mom. My second child, I was 41. So I was already starting to go through changes, right? And so on top of that, you know, not trying to figure out let alone trying to figure out which changes were to the pregnancy, the having the newborn, and then potentially perimenopause. It was experiencing that was sometimes overwhelming. Absolutely. Um, You know, you raise another really important point that at least here in the United States, women are having children later in life, right? right? In the last like 15 to 20 years. And by age 44, it's around like 85 or 86% of women become mothers. Um, I also entered motherhood late. And I think what's not noted very often is that we're also more advanced in our careers. Yes. So we're at a stage where we are in leadership, 
and we have incredibly, you know, demanding professional schedules while suddenly adjusting to the chaos, right? The beautiful chaos that is right. caring for a newborn or caring for toddlers. And they, and they clash, right, at a critical time when work is demanding more, cognitively demanding more, physically demanding more from our time. We're also being pulled into all of these demands at home. And, you know, from a perimenopause standpoint, and I've been fortunate to interview some incredible doctors um, and scientists over the years, you know, what we also find is that not only do you have physical changes, right, that are affecting your ability to get good rest and sleep, right, which of exactly. course hormonal change can do that. You as also, can a newborn. <laughs> as can a newborn, exactly. Well, and then there's all these environmental factors. I, I had... <laughs> I had a mom tell me like a couple weeks ago that her dog can't sleep. And because the dog can't sleep, she can't sleep. Oh, and so if your partner is not a good sleeper, right. if your children are at any stage in their natural developmental cycles, and that's if you're blessed with children that follow normal developmental cycles, <laughs> and they can't sleep, and suddenly you are also experiencing more hormonal change and disruption, Right, it's a recipe for just a like a decade or more of exhaustion, and that exhaustion, as you well know, right, erodes whatever physical resilience we might need to overcome stressors, to overcome illness. Right, at, at like at the foundation of our health is getting that kind of sleep and restorative rest, and for a lot of you know a lot of women, that's not happening due to caregiving. And you mentioned other, you know, stress-related illness. Women are at greater risk, as I'm sure you already know, um, for anxiety and depression, just biologically exactly. speaking. And then you add care. What I see in my studies is moms feel trapped. Mm. I see a disturbing amount of suicidality in my studies. Mm. Moms feel like they have to be in service and on from the moment they wake up until the moment they go to sleep, they feel like they don't have options for breaks, especially if they're socioeconomically in the margins and cannot afford paid childcare or paid support, or they're in an essential work job right. where they have very little control over their location or over their schedule. So you have all of these external pressures along with all the internal changes they really conspire to damage our health, damage our mood, damage our emotional resiliency. And this crisis really has a ripple effect through families. So I'm very like, health for moms is my ministry. <laughs> and I'm just so passionate about letting moms know that all of these things are happening and you're not imagining it. But there are steps you're going to have to take to disrupt the parts of the pattern that you can disrupt. And that does involve self-care. And that involves setting boundaries. It involves saying no when it's extremely uncomfortable to say no. It involves, in many cases, doing less than you want to do, or even that you might be capable of doing, or that you might perceive you're capable of doing, to manage the very physical nature of our lives, right? Like we are not machines. 
we try to work like robots. We're socialized to work like robots. Absolutely. So enter your organization and you have some solutions. Yes. So tell us about those. Absolutely. On the mom side, my focus is really motivation, education, and activation. Helping moms understand what's going on. Because again, I think we've been, you know, gaslit for so many years with these images of, you know, whether, you know, whether it's social media and having these, you know, Pinterest perfect (laughs) cookies or homes or outfits, or it's the movies or it's the books we read or all of these things conspire to make us think that we're doing something wrong when it doesn't all come together perfectly. So that sets up moms for a huge amount of disappointment, which I think, again, what I see in my studies, it leads to this deep sense of inefficacy. So, you know, I asked some self-efficacy questions, like, how do you feel that you're doing as a parent, if you're partnered as a partner, if you're an elder caregiver, as a caregiver to an adult, as a worker, as a, you know, as a friend. And what I inevitably see, especially since the pandemic, is people are saying they're doing terribly or not as well as usual at all of these things. Self-care is down now versus spring of 2020. And people ask me why. Right. And I say, I'll tell you why, because the birthday party circuit is back. <laughs> Activities right. are back. The school sends six million emails. Scheduling a pediatric health appointment or any kind of health appointment takes 10 times as long. You have more forms to fill out, more lines to wait in, more queues to be in. And yet the infrastructure hasn't changed at all. As a matter of fact, for many people, it's worsened. So there's less time. There's more environmental stressors. There's very real social justice challenges, very real economic challenges, inflation. So all of these things are kind of leading moms to feel just beaten down and less able or willing to care for themselves. So what I explained to moms on that side of things, um, I have an app called Time Check where they can actually just check in with themselves. It's like, how much time are you spending? And I tell them it doesn't have to be an hour. It doesn't even have to be a half hour. If you can spend five minutes taking a few deep breaths and splashing some water in your face, like, good. (laughs) That's a start. What I encourage moms to do is to ritualize self-care and think of it as a daily part of life and to begin to ritualize boundary setting And think of that as a daily part of life and start with the relationships or the environments where they feel safest and where they feel that they can confidently do that and then work toward the environmental uh, factors that might be preventing them from doing that. On the other side of my business, which is where I spend a lot of time, is in organizations. So I have a whole, the majority of the revenue part of my business is going into environments like, you know, Fortune 500 companies. You also have 
a membership program for moms. Talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. So in the membership, there's two versions. There's a version with physical care packages, and I intentionally call them care packages because moms do not like to take care of themselves. (laughs) They do not like to buy things for themselves. But the care packages are these like beautiful little gift packages, all from primarily BIPOC-owned, sustainable, woman-led businesses that are just intended to surprise and delight them so that there's a positive trigger that says, oh, this candle arrived, I guess I should sit and light it and (laughs) and I should take a moment for myself. So that's the intention there. And then there's a digital only version, but we have every month a digital care package with some sort of systems thinking guide, everything from when should you say yes or no to a volunteer assignment? I will tell you that almost every meal train, PTO meeting, school committee meeting, anything, if you go, it's 95% moms. And it's okay. We are generous. We are loving. We care about the world around us. But there are times when volunteering away all your time isn't good for you. And you need to just be clear um, when that is. So I write these systems guides that kind of emulate the things I've done to reduce the time I spend spinning, spinning, <laughs> uh, perpetually in service. And I share those. And then we meet once a month and we just talk as a group. Like we just had one last week and the focus was really around, you know, what kind of network of support do you need right now? And one mom who was in the group actually just changed jobs and she has to physically go into an office like two or three days a week while she's ramping up. So we talked about, well, do you know your neighbors well? Yeah, right. <laughs> do you have a plan B and a plan C if there's a pickup or a childcare issue? Is your partner prepared to take on more? Like we just really problem solved. Like what does this job transition mean and how can she get support? We've done sessions on reflection, career fulfillment, um, what it means to grow, like what does growth mean to you in this season? So those are just me setting out a prompt in advance, usually a week before, and then I just go around the Zoom room and we talk and we talk about what these things mean. So it's really fun and it's really joyful. And I, you know, I love the moms group. Oh, how can women avail themselves of these uh, programs? Um, momshierarchyofneeds.com. It's linked from my website. It's also linked from all the social places, you know, Instagram and Facebook and um, LinkedIn. And I have links to the membership for moms in addition to all the programs for employers. But there's also a ton of free resources for moms, like the time check app. There's a free version in the membership version. You get to set goals and you have some additional tools available to you, but the free version is fantastic. People love it. And there's a lot of articles. I have a weekly newsletter on Saturday nights where I always share just a personal story, something I don't share other places that really kind of sets up the theme. And I interview incredible women, um, a lot of authors and doctors and scientists and experts and share like everything related to mental, physical, emotional health and growth and how we can do it. So what did I not ask you that you wanted to make sure we covered today? 
You asked amazing questions. Thank you. I guess what I would say to the mom who thinks that she should have it all figured out because she's really gifted, talented, educated, whatever the case may be, because I know there's a lot of high performers on this podcast. It's often those moms who feel the most guilty or the most angry or the most self-repressed or the most self-loathing because they feel like they should have an answer. But what I've seen is regardless of the level of privilege, regardless of the level, the socioeconomic level, regardless of the type of job, moms across the board are struggling with these problems right now. And it's not just the workload. It's not just the caring for your kids and all the spinning around that we do in the home and all of the hours that we put into our careers. It's the cognitive load, which we don't talk about very much. Everyone knows there's a mental load and that moms are disproportionately affected. Like if you're picking out sippy cups and you are trying to figure out what your clothes clothes your kids should wear and you're responding to the school and you're making you know, dinner and all those things are happening at the same time. I mean, your brain feels like it's been in a blender and it, and it has. So cognitive overload is real. Decision fatigue is real. Sure. (laughs) And they are part of what's driving your stress. So look at your schedule. Look at the things that you are deciding. Look at the decisions you are making. Look at how much is on your mental list. And see how you can push that aside, routinize things. My kids are sick of eating the same breakfast, oatmeal, might I add, every morning. (laughs) But I tell them, you know what? It's nutritious. And it's easy. (laughs) And this is not a diner. And you are going to get oatmeal, except for on Saturdays when I make like French toast or pancakes. (laughs) But during the work week, we standardize on oatmeal. And I tell them that. And I'm not ashamed of telling them that. And sometimes for dinner, it's the same thing. It's like, well, why barley again? (laughs) Well, I have leftovers. I have leftover barley. And we are reimagining and giving new life to this barley (laughs) because it's easy. (laughs) And it's made. And it takes me less time. And I don't have to think about it. And protecting my mental energy is a top priority for me right now. So I can spend it on other things. So, you know, be candid with your family about what you're trying to do for yourself and for them and give yourself the permission to be a human. Beautifully said. Leslie Ford, CEO and founder of Mom's Hierarchy of Needs. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. We've discussed everything from the importance of self-care to systemic challenges, and I hope that you're coming away with actions you can take now to better care for yourself, whether it's taking some me time, reviewing your schedule, or advocating for yourself and others at work. And not to sound too preachy, but self-compassion and boundary setting are not just acts of self-love, but they're also acts of survival. We will provide links to the Mom's Hierarchy of Needs website and the app in our podcast notes. And please check out part two of my conversation with Leslie Ford, which will be available the week after we drop this episode. We focus on the specific ways that employers can support their employees and policies that can improve caretakers' lives. 
and we'd love to hear from you. So please leave us a comment on our social media. And I also invite you to visit us at beyondthepapergown.com, where we not only feature our podcast, but also have some great articles on various health topics, as well as a community calendar of women's health events and a marketplace with discounts on women's health products and subscriptions. And while you're there, sign up for our newsletter so you can keep up with the new podcasts, learn about events and ways to engage in women's health activities, and we even throw in a healthy recipe. As always, thanks for listening and take good care. Our podcast is produced by Patrick Shambayati and me, and our associate producer is Kyla McMillian.